take your balloons to the next level as we delve deeper into what truly makes a professional balloon artist with your host, Zivi Kivi. Now, welcome to the Balloon Artist Podcast. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. This is Season 3, Chapter 9. And today, we're having Stephen Jones talking about float. Float is a really interesting convention because if you're a professional decorator or if you are going deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole of decor, then you need to go to Float. I'm going to attend Float next year, sponsored by Brody's Balloons, and I'm going to capture all kinds of interviews there. I'm really looking forward on learning there how to improve my business with decor, and I think you'll love the concepts that uh, that Stephen Jones is talking about. Uh, he's a really likable guy, and I was really appreciative of uh, how much he shared so openly about the convention and about the culture of balloon art in that convention. So I'm actually recording this in advance because as you hear this, I'm in the middle of creating a huge build myself together with uh, the talented team of instructors of the Israeli event. So kudos and shout out for Michael Abramson for a huge build uh, planning and execution and for Matt Falloon, Andrea Noel, Peter Van Engen and of course my partner in this project Guy Schaeffer from Ballonism. So I'll share pictures of everything in the Balloon Artist Facebook group. And with that said, let's transition right into the interview. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. This is Zivi Kivi. And today we are talking with Stephen Jones. Stephen Jones is the director of the convention Float, an amazing convention that I've heard so much about and I'm so excited to visit it for the first time in my life next year. Let's learn a little bit about who is Stephen Jones and what is Float. So hello, Stephen. Hi, and thank you very much for having me today. It's my pleasure, definitely. Uh, Stephen, I want to ask you, how did you get to the situation where you're a director of a convention? That is a, it's, it's a combination of stories, uh, but I'll make it brief. Started years ago in 2004, we did a, uh, a project called Balloon Town USA, which was a giant build. And it was interesting because people would call us up. We, were, we would basically... We'd take any volunteers that wanted to come and be part of the project, and we would put them up in a hotel while they were here, and we'd feed them while they were there. So basically nobody got paid per se to come, but they all volunteered their time, and all of their expenses were covered. And we would build just like a giant walkthrough project. But people would call up, and they'd be like, well, what classes are you offering? Or like, well, we're not offering classes. This is strictly a group build. Oh, I'm not really that interested. So that that's one aspect of it. Then the other aspect of it was that here in the United States, there were three balloon conventions for decorators at the time that we were running this project. And in the course of a year, two of them went under. So there was only one convention left. And frankly, the gentleman that produced the convention had a really bad reputation with a lot of American artists. And we didn't necessarily want him to be our voice, if that makes sense. The timing was kind of interesting that... that we kind of realized that all of these people are asking about classes that we're offering at the group project, 
and then this other all these other conventions kind of go under and so we just basically looked at some of our sponsors that were helping out with this and said hey if we go in this direction is this something you'd get behind and they all agreed and so float was born and when was that that was 2000 the, the decision was made in 2007 the first convention was actually held in 2008 so you're, you're running uh, the convention every two years, so 2008 right. and then 2010, 12, 14, and now... Well, we actually jumped. We actually had a year, um, we actually had a year where we skipped a year. Mm. Uh, we had to, um, we went from 2010 to 2013. Cool. And then basically you were able to be synced with WBC and having one year on WBC and one year for float. Right. Yeah. The, the bottom line is, is that I am not a, a multi-million dollar international company. Um, I don't have their budget. So I can't, I, I cannot necessarily afford to schedule my convention the same year that they do. So it's, uh, it's best to, to alternate in that regard. Well, I argue that they might have a meeting uh, in their offices and they might say, well, we cannot compete with Steven and uh, do the WBC every year. <laughs> no, I, I, no, I, I wouldn't go that far. Okay. Uh, but no, what I, what I will say is, is that they, I think, I think they're making the right choice, though, um, as far as as scheduling it the way they do. It's, a, it's a tremendous financial investment for them, and to do it every year is is a lot. I think, you know, I think yeah. they see the value in it, but I think they also understand that from a from a monetary perspective, it does make sense to have it every other. Yeah. So I've been to a couple of WBCs and met you there. Uh, tell us a little bit, what are you doing in WBCs? Uh, at the World Balloon Convention, I often go as a sponsor. Uh, my video line, which is Aerodeco Video and BalloonDVDs.com, uh, we go there as a sponsor for their convention. The way I see it, it's supporting them who support us. Uh, plus, on top of that, they get a ton of people there. So, um, you know, as a vendor, per se, and as one of the only vendors that actually brings stuff to sell, which is unusual, we, uh, we do very well at the World Balloon Convention. If, even if when you look at the amount of expenses that we go through to be part of the convention, we don't make nearly as much money as we do on, say, Cyber, Cyber Monday like we did yesterday. However, I will say that we reach a whole new market of people that we wouldn't have necessarily reached before. And because the World Balloon Convention Qualitex sponsors Float, and they market the World Balloon Convention at Float, we're allowed to then market Float at the World Balloon Convention, which, again, as long as it's, it's a respectful balance. You don't walk out and all of a sudden you're, you, know, you don't have banners in the air and you're throwing up pom-poms in the whole nine yards, but you're just very discreetly talking to people about the event. And, and uh, it's a very nice partnership. I enjoy it. Cool. Uh, so tell us a little bit about Float. Uh, you have, you know, you have your DVD lines, and you have been doing uh, Float for a few times by now. Um, and so tell us a little bit about the upcoming Float, so that we could learn more about it and um, understand where Float is going. Uh, sure. So well, we, we, let's start with the when. Yeah. The actual dates for the convention are January 29th through February 2nd of 2017. It is literally 61 days from today as we're doing this interview. Um, our, our float group, we have a daily countdown, so everybody gets to see that. There are some activities that actually take place the day before, which would be the 28th. Uh, we have a, a bonus master class and some group projects, you know, the decor option, you know, people coming in to build the lobby decor, the opening night decor, and people who come in to compete. But technically, the convention begins on Sunday, the 29th. Cool. And, uh, and it'll be held in 
St. Louis, Missouri, in in the United States. And is this the first time you're holding it in uh, St. Louis, Missouri? No, it's actually the third. The third. Uh, we've actually had it consecutively there now for three years. Cool. Um, why St. Louis, Missouri then? That is a very strategic decision. It is, and it's for multiple reasons. First of all, the, con- well, the hotel per se that, that we work at is a fantastic location. I mean, I just love them. They're extremely, they're so nice, they're so accommodating, they're so helpful, and they really appreciate the fact that, you know, all of these balloon people are willing to pretty much fill the hotel for a week. So they're very, very good to us. On top of that, logistically speaking, from my own personal satisfaction, it is a 45-second ride from the airport to the hotel. So, you know, free shuttles in the whole nine yards, which is just very strategic for, for me, especially when you think about the fact that I have to provide transportation for 20-something people to and from the airport. But most importantly, in the United States, it is important because it is centrally located in the country. It's, it's very interesting how localized Americans can be. Uh, when you live on the East Coast, for example, and you have to think about traveling to the West Coast, it is a five-hour flight. To me, that's not a big deal. That's just getting on a plane, and, and for five hours, I'm going to watch TV or, or listen to music, and then I'm on the other side of the country. But for a lot of people, that's really, really far. And there's this psychological situation where they look at that and go, oh, I, I don't, that's, that's way too far, or that's way too expensive. So by, by posting it centrally in the United States, you tend to you cut that distance in half so more people are inclined to. Plus, on top of that, approximately 65 to 70 percent of our attendees drive. So when you are, again, if you're on one side of the country, you run into a problem where you can only draw people from so far away. Missouri is fairly centrally located. You're five hours from Chicago. You're six hours from the Cincinnati market. You are, um, I think you're four or five hours from the Oklahoma City market. You know, so there's a, lot, there's a lot of people there that are within driving distance that can come to the convention and support it. Um, then on top of that, from an international perspective, you know, St. Louis is one of the cities that people can actually fly directly into uh, as an international traveler. If we held it, you know, we, we, at one time we had talked about San Antonio, Texas. People were saying it's, it's warmer there, it's a nicer location, whatever. You know, you don't have too many blizzards to worry about in January in San Antonio, Texas. But there's no way an international traveler can fly directly to, interna- to San Antonio. They have to fly into a city and then into another location. Uh, and then possibly even a third flight once they get to the United States. And we just don't want to do that. So, again, when you combine all that together, St. Louis is a great choice for us. Interesting. Uh, how about the, the, um, who is this for? The question, the big question of who is this for? The, yeah, that's a good question because it's one we get asked a lot. Float is aimed at the career balloon decorator. And what I mean by that is, is that it is, it is not aimed at beginners. Um, the WBC, again, is a fantastic event that caters to basically all balloon decorators and, and entertainers to some extent. We have very few beginner-level classes. Part of the inspiration behind Float was... Before the World Balloon Convention, there was IBAC, the International Balloon Arts Convention, which is what basically the WBC modeled themselves after. And again, great event, fantastic. It's what got me into this business. But what would happen is, is that you would have um, 
classes there for all skill levels. Well, when you're someone like me and you've been to two or three conventions, then all of a sudden you realize 70% of the classes are aimed at beginners. And it's very difficult at that point for someone who's been around for a while and got a little bit of experience. Then you have to really be careful as to pick and choose which classes you want. And then the other problem is even a lot of classes that are listed as intermediate to advanced, they're not necessarily as intermediate or as advanced as you would like them to be. Or you get students that take that class that literally are like, but I don't know what a balloon drop is. And then the teacher then has to then step the entire program back to accommodate all of those people that don't know. And now your advanced level class has just been negated to a beginner level class. So float is all about there's an expectation that you are at a certain skill set when you come to the convention. Um, I would say that, I mean, obviously we're going to have some, there's always newbies. There's always newbies who come. Um, We warn them in advance. If you ask a question of your instructor and the instructor feels that that question is too basic for the level of the class, the instructor has the right to say, I understand what you're asking, but I need to come back to that after class because I need to keep moving along. The, the student is encouraged not to be offended, not to be upset, not to be hurt. They simply didn't know. But at the same time, the instructor is, is, is held to a standard that if they do that to that student during class – it is their responsibility to make sure after class that they explain that situation to them so they're not left out in the dark. You know what, Steven? I want to share with you uh, the, this decision that you've made for Float to be aimed at the career level, professional decorator, business owner sometimes, um, mm-hmm. many times, I guess, uh, yeah. is a decision which is uh, it, it's a brave decision because you're... You're, minim- you're, you're basically limiting the amount of people that can enjoy right. float uh, tremendously. Right. But at the same time, you're making it into a place where they can actually grow and they can actually implement new ideas and have a, a, a better repertoire. And keeping, keeping the level up is something that I've heard about float some good things from from people that are that I consider as you know smart business person talented balloon artists and friends and those people they keep telling me how you know attending float was a game changer for their business oh okay well that's great I'm very glad to hear that yeah that's one thing that we that is one thing that we we stress really hard and that's one of the things that this year it, it, that I'm being a very very big stickler on we are trying to make sure that the instructors, you know, for example, you know, dist- we'll talk about distortion, for example. Yeah. There's so many distortion techniques that are just ungodly gorgeous. I don't necessarily want an instructor coming to float and teaching distortion. I want them to teach distortion and then I want them to explain how that is incorporated into their business, how it works into their marketing plan or about how they, how they, how they sell that product to their customer. Is it just a matter of showing the customer? And then at that point, how can you justify charging this much more? In other words, we, we, the business focus is really important at Float. It's not just a matter of here's a technique you can do. It's here's a technique and here's why you need to do it. I think Float, at the end of the day, the, the best way I could describe it is it's about a culture. It's not about a product. It's not about a brand. It's more about a culture. It's a culture of our industry. And that, at the end of the day, that's what I'm trying to 
reflect the most. Again, when you when you produce a convention that is focused around a brand, let me make this clear, there's nothing wrong with that. When that brand is paying for that convention, they have every right to do whatever they want to do with it. But but when your instructors aren't necessarily folks that are in the trenches every day, it's tough. When the people that are running the event aren't people that necessarily run a business every day, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to meet those needs. It's not that they're not meeting the needs. I just think that Float has the ability to do it from a different perspective. So that it, makes sense. It does, but I want to ask in more details, like that culture. Yeah. Okay, can you share with us a little bit some of the values uh, of, the, of, the, of that culture? Because uh, so, some people are afraid uh, that maybe the culture is... Um, only to focus on the business side and not on the aesthetics of the art? What, what would you say to someone like that? that? That's a fair question. That's a really good question. Because one of, the, one of the ultimate challenges here in the United States is this, this notion of, on the one hand, you have some very financially successful businesses that regurgitate nothing but arches, columns, and bouquets, and that's all they do. And then so you have people going, yeah, but there's nothing new. There's nothing creative in what they do. And then you've got very creative people who do amazing sculptures, and they do incredible work. And then you've got the people over here going, yeah, but they ain't making any money doing it. So it's the balance. And that's what I try. I really try to bring it float. I do try to bring a balance between those two. It's like, you know what? There's nothing wrong. It, look, I was in the business for 20 years, just about well, 16 years before I realized the true value of, of classic decor, of arches, columns, and bouquets, because dear God, it's easy money. Just keep going. But that doesn't mean that's all you sell. There's nothing wrong with having that as a focal point. I used to be that guy that was like, you don't want an arch. You want this incredible dynamic arch with blah, 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 and this and that. And now I'm kind of like, okay, how big do you want that arch? <laughs> because it's like because it's like I've understand I understand now the value in the simplicity as long as that's going to serve their needs you know and I spend less time on it and make more money that's perfectly fine but but yes the culture is important because like you said it's not just about money it it can't be just about money and it can't be just about creativity in order for our industry to truly be respected in the world of events it has to be a combination of both And that's what we try to do. Um, admittedly, the one, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm totally willing to throw this out to your listeners and everybody hear it. The, my, biggest, my biggest letdown, my biggest disappointment with my convention is the fact that our competitions are not nearly as incredibly dynamic as the ones that say World Balloon. Um, you know, we do not attract... the greatest artistic talent in the world to come to float. Um, that's okay. I understand that what, what's happened at float now is that a lot of folks are starting to use float as their foot in the water, so to speak, sticking their toe in the water. I'm going to try competing. Well, I don't want to try and compete there at World Balloon. I'll get destroyed. But I might have a chance here. So that's kind of where our competition niche has gone to. So unfortunately, that's, that's the one thing that I regret the most is that we don't have – a lot of over-the-top, incredibly gorgeous competition pieces, um, simply because the fact that, that Float's 
not that convention if that makes sense it does and you know in a, in a sense when you do go and see those large sculptures and medium sculptures in in wbc and all of the other pieces there you know you can you cannot eventually uh ignore the fact that you cannot sell those pieces you cannot sell it, yeah that that I mean, it's, I, I, at least it will be extremely hard to sell it uh, and still be profitable because, because it's just uh, very time-consuming to create those. Uh, however, I imagine that in Float, uh, the competition are made by people that make a living from designing this, this type of designs. Right. That's, it's funny you mentioned that too, because one of, for years when IBAC was around and, and then, like I said, it became the World Balloon Convention, uh, one of the biggest complaints that uh, a lot of the competitors had was that certain competitions had rules based upon time. Uh, the centerpiece competition, for example, was you, were, you weren't specifically timed. You weren't actually sat there and had to build it in front of somebody. But the notion was that you were only supposed to spend an hour on it, an hour of labor to build the centerpiece. And, and then you see, and I believe that rule is even still in effect, and then you see these, dear God, they spend days making those centerpieces. And, and again, epically, breathtakingly gorgeous, but there's no way you can sell that concept. At least, let me rephrase that. It would be ungodly difficult to sell that concept, or you would have to have an extremely wealthy and open-minded client to sell that concept. So... Then in, at, at IBAC 20, they decided to actually make it a live competition where two people had one hour to make it. And the, and, and the designs were so simplistic compared to what they had done before, they stopped doing it. So they, everybody was disappointed because the quality wasn't there, even though everyone was shouting for the limitation. So at Float, it is a live competition. It is, yeah, you're not going to see that same thing. But at the same time, you have a much tighter restriction that we stand there with a stopwatch and go, no, you're done. So it's, yeah. Interesting. So uh, Float is for uh, more aimed at uh, professionals. And um, what about balloon artists that they do want to go into deco but they just didn't have a chance maybe maybe even they've done their cbas but they're not actually making a living yet professionally from deco what would you say to them if they want to consider float oh we absolutely encourage them if they're a cba there's they possess the basic skill set to come to float that's that's not a problem um and it and and again i would i could honestly tell you Probably half of our delegates are part-timers, but their intention is to become full-time, and that's fine. If the, if the intention and the motivation is there, um, the, only thing I, the only thing I actually steer people away from are entertainers, for example, that don't have a desire to go into decor. Then there's no reason for you to come to this convention. It, it, in fact, I'll never forget one year we had – we did a um, – you know, we, we asked for people to critique the convention. And we scored like a 98.7% approval rating, which for us was above average or more. We don't count fair. We count above average or more. And, and the one person that killed us was a twister who said, I really wish there were more twister classes. <laughs> like, but, that's, but that's not what this is. So 
that 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 would be the only person. I mean, I would. There's been two types of people that I would say I have declined to come to float. One are strictly entertainers with no interest in decor, and the others are people so incredibly brand new they don't even really know what quad packing is. That's when I say, you know what, you really might want to give yourself some time and look into coming later because you're just it's it's like it's like you were just born and you were thrown into the deep end. It's you're not there yet. Okay, fair enough. Um, so just uh, as a curiosity, do you have something which is the equivalent of a gem room? In, in... No. Well, we do and we don't. Um, what we do at Float, we started this last time in 2015, and it was hugely successful. Um, we have the foil jam is what we do at Float. Um, so instead of twisting, I mean, we actually did have twisting jams before and they were very popular, but it was mostly people that had experience with twisting were kind of spending the whole night teaching people how to make stuff. And even though some of them don't mind, some of them do. And it turns into, I'm not having any fun, blah, blah, blah. But as you know, not, I mean, we, we work so much with latex, not many people work a lot with foil balloons. So it's very intimidating for a lot of people, and it's also very expensive to practice because foils are not, you know, a 260 is six cents here in the U.S. You know, a foil balloon is not six cents, and if you want to make something, you know, it's going to cost you a lot more than that. Our sponsors have been extremely generous and have put together a, a concept with us called the Foil Jam where they literally have boxes and cases and piles of foil balloons that delegates can walk up, grab, inflate, tape together, tie together, stick together, do whatever they want to practice working with them to, to kind of alleviate that fear, that apprehension, and that develop that comfort level. Um, that, that's definitely unique. There's no other convention that does that. Yeah, it, it, it's something that we, we tried it. It was hugely successful. Uh, this year we've actually had it. Uh, last time it was uh, like 8 to midnight. Uh, this time around it's one to four in the afternoon because so many people, I mean, when you had a full day of classes, you know, twisters, my experience with twisted jam, like twist and shout, the twister that stays up all night in the jam room till two o'clock in the morning normally doesn't make the eight o'clock class. Decorators have a tendency to make the eight o'clock class. So by nine or 10 o'clock, they're kind of done. So You know, this year we can move around a little bit. So this time around, the jam is actually from one to four in the afternoon. And then the classes that would normally be at that time are bumped to the evening. So uh, classes that you know, that night will end about 9.30. And that's about it for most decorators anyway. So it's all good. Um, I have to share with you, you know, I talk with a lot of people that come to Twist and Shout Uh, where I will be instructing next year and about business and uh, with some some of them that come to float and to twist and shout and we have this um, uh, we have this line where we say okay let's go and because we're meeting finally in float let's have a cup of tea mm. and then later when we go to twist and shout let, let's have a beer right that's right that's that's a great way to put it That's it. They, with, for people that have never been, for decorators, walking into an entertainer convention is like traveling to another planet. Uh, it really is. And, and it's, it's, there's a level of organized insanity that takes place at Twister conventions, but it works. 
as a decorator, if you walk around and try to understand it, you're just like, I got to go. There was one year where Float and Twist and Shout partnered. We shared the same hotel and we went butt to butt. So we went up against each other. So Float was the first couple of days and then Twist and Shout was the next few days afterwards. Um, We had about 35 of our attendees who stayed for both events. And it was very interesting getting some of the feedback from those guys afterwards. But, of course, the biggest – the biggest thing was though is that it was you know it was too long to be away from their business it was it was you know too much information overload and to yeah. them they went from they went from subjects they know a lot about to subjects they knew nothing about and and it was a real challenge but it, but I will say that it's still to this day one of the most memorable experiences for me i you know i adore patty sorrell um i am i am still in in deep sense of loss with her loss recently yes um and 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 i've and i've made it uh, float was originally modeled after twist and shout many of the concepts that are employed there float borrowed from twist and shout so you know and i've already i've already made it very clear patty i'm i'm coming and i'm your slave you tell me what you need me to do and i'm just i'm there um because i could only imagine the challenges that she's going to be facing the next several years without royal so it's i i i'm for one am, am just as shocked as anyone with his passing and 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 i love her to death so yeah yeah um yeah and uh i i i really love the fact that uh that there is a, a lot of partnerships in in this uh arena not just uh, in balloon art where a lot of people help each other, but also mm-hmm. um, in, in the level of the education and uh, the care that you, that you show. So thank you for that. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about the upcoming float. Is it uh, like, can someone still register? Yes and no. <laughs> we, unlike, unlike other conventions, we do have a, an attendance cap. Uh, one of the things that we have been asked about uh, from our delegates is that when it started, of course, there were only about a handful of people that came, like 100 or so came. And the first several years, it was only about 100 people that came to the convention. So, so it got a very small feel. And people really liked that. And people appreciate the idea of having it such an intimate concept. Um, but as you can understand, financially, it cannot continue as an intimate concept. But we still wanted to keep a smaller feel, even though it had to grow. So we capped it at 300. This year, by overwhelming demand, we went ahead and extended it 50 more spots. Um, now, I'm not sure exactly when this is going to air, but tomorrow is November 30th. Um, that is the deadline for our payment plan. People that have still yet to pay for the convention have to pay by tomorrow. So what's happening is I'm getting all kinds of people calling up saying, uh, you know what, I probably can't make it now. I've had other people calling me today. Hey, did anybody cancel today? Did anybody, can I get in? And so, so yes. So there's a, but there's always a good possibility that, yeah, there'll be a few spots open. Uh, I am, and I am far more inclined to make room for an international delegate that wants to travel to float because after my experiences this summer in teaching in Australia and, and realizing dear 
God, what everyone goes through just to come here. Um, you know, how could I not? If someone's willing to make that kind of commitment, both financially and physically and time-wise, we'll find a spot for them to get in. This is not something that you're not just uh, committing to here live on the Balloon Artist Podcast. You also, uh, on a regular basis, encourage international audiences, international balloon artists. Uh, even your pricing for the entire convention is cheaper when you are uh, coming international. And I, right. I just imagine it's exactly for the same reason. It, it, it is. It's several reasons. Like, like you said, number one, it costs so much more to travel to the United States than it does for someone within the United States, which is why I get frustrated sometimes when I want to smack somebody who talks about how expensive it is. I'm like, no, they're paying. They've got expenses. You don't have expenses. Um, the, um, but expenses, expensive is a relative term, and people's situations are different, of course. Um, but at the same time, one of the things that I... I was a history major in college long before I was a balloon person. And one of the things that I came to realize very early on was that Americans, you know, th there's a reputation that Americans have around the world of, of arrogance and, and, and the whole nine yards, and I, and I understand it. I also understand where it comes from, and it comes from the isolationism. The United States is all by itself over here for the most part. Um, and the United States is, you know, economically fairly successful. So as a result, People in Europe, for example, if they want to go on vacation and they want to go to the beach, they may have to go to another country to go to the beach. If they want to go skiing, they have to go to another country sometimes to go skiing. If they want to experience a variety of different things, they have to go to different places. Within the United States, we have just about all of those locales. So you can travel to the beach. You can travel to the mountains. You can travel to the desert. You can travel to volcanoes. And not have to leave the country. So, it, so as a result, people become very, very centralized. They don't necessarily understand the greater global picture. I don't think it's arrogance as much as it is ignorance. So it is my hope that more and more international artists will eventually come to float both as a cultural exchange so that, so that Americans can learn not only – a variety of techniques that international people have that we don't necessarily use all the time, but at the same time share experiences so that Americans will have a better perspective of the balloon world as a global whole, if that makes sense. It does, and it sounds like a wonderful opportunity. So I do encourage uh, the Balloon Artist podcast listeners, if you are interested in considering going to float and maybe even meeting there uh, and jamming in the foil gem uh, which just uh, sounds like I want to pay money like take take my money because really it is something that there is some fear with uh, touching foil uh, and wasting it in a sense and then you know playing with it and seeing the different designs and connecting them in all those different tactics and techniques uh, that's something I'm looking forward to so um, You know, uh, if you're listening to the show right now and you're considering maybe you do want to go to float, where should, where should they go to, to consider that? Um, the website is floatconvention.com. Uh, most of the information is there. But I will say that we have a group on Facebook. Uh, the group is called Float the Convention. Um, honestly, that is where most of the updated information is posted all the time. 
Um, so when things happen, you know, when things pop up or whatever, or this and that, that's where the information is posted first. Um, so yeah, and we, we accept anybody in the group who's a balloon professional. Uh, you don't have to be a decorator. You can be an entertainer. Everybody's accepted in the group. You just have to have some kind of connection to the balloon world. We don't just take any random person, obviously. But but at the same time, the understanding is that the focus of the group is about the convention. So it, this is not the group that you want to come and post the pictures from your nephew's bar mitzvah. Um, you know, this is the this is the group where we're specifically focused on the convention, and and that's where people's attentions are located at. Of course. And I will put the links to both of them on the show notes of uh, the, the, like the, the page of the Balloon Artist Podcast so people can actually go there directly. Um, Thank you. Which will be uh, awesome for people to consider. And I encourage people to do that because really this year, uh, 2017, starts in January. Like make that January... Uh, uh, an opportunity for us to learn uh, more designs and more uh, ways to make money with balloons and pre- be professional with it. So I think it's uh, an amazing opportunity for, for me to come to Float and to meet with you and to meet with the people there and to learn. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity for many people that listen to this show. So I, I want you uh, guys, people, stop the car check the the website uh, on the balloon artist podcast there's a link waiting for you so uh with that said just uh, before we wrap up uh do you have any tips for people that come to float i mean this, is there something that they need to bring um this year yeah i would say well first of all like any convention you know bring lots of business cards that, that it's amazing to me the number of people that, that come to a convention and don't bring cards. Um, so always bring information like that with you. Um, bring your portfolio. We encourage people, bring your portfolio, share your portfolios. Because again, every opportunity you meet somebody there is an opportunity for you to grow. Um, you know, it's, it's not bragging. It's not showing off. It's would you like to trade portfolio? Would you, can I, because again, you could, you could be doing, you could trade portfolios with someone who's been in the business a fraction of the time that you've been and you see something in their work that you've never seen before because they have a brand new perspective. Um, we, dear God, bring some kind of cutting instrument. You know, scissors or a knife or something, bring it with you because you're, you, everybody needs that at some point during a balloon convention. And this year at Float, bring a cup uh, because we have our own uh, this year we're hosting a hospitality suite for the first time and uh, so throughout the course of the day you can go get free sodas you can get free snacks that kind of thing in the hospitality suite um, and the suite is being generously sponsored by our various you know sponsors at the convention however um, due to contractual obligations with the hotel you cannot walk out of the room with a can of soda you can, however, walk out of the room with a cup filled with soda. So, so we are we are encouraged. I mean, obviously, Float will have you know travel tumblers with the logo on it. You can buy if you'd like, but if you don't, just bring your own cup with you, and and that way you can partake all the time. And plus, on top of that, there's this rumor at conventions that if you have alcohol in a cup, nobody's going to stop you in the hall. So yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Cool. I learned that when it's twisted show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds it sounds a little bit illegal. So, <laughs> no, actually, it's, it's, I think it's fine. It's just it's that whole hotel catering, hotels and catering clauses are very very strict because 
they want to control the food and drink that goes on in the build, in, in the in the space. Obviously, the problem is is that like with a convention, the the dinner at final night, for example, um, costs me per person roughly seventy five dollars American, um, which is a lot of money to pay for chicken and rice, but but that's what it costs. And when somebody like, for example, a competitor in the competition space, which is in the convention area, say they want to bring pizza in for everybody. So they order pizzas in. The hotel then says, you understand we sell pizza. So I could now be billed for all of those pizzas and I would be charged about four times what they paid for those pizzas. So we have to, we have to walk a fine line. In other words, if I have a cup, I could argue I brought this from my room. And nobody can say anything. But if I'm walking around with a can of soda that looks like it could have been acquired in the space, then we run into problems. So here's it's, a, it's a logistical nightmare. Yeah, and, and, and the, but a good tip, definitely. I'll, I'll bring a cup here. I, I'm already having the cup ready here for clothes. <laughs> so I, I'll be no spills and everything. I'll be I'll be fine. Um, and uh, and. Is the, and I understand the, you know, the competitions in float. Are there also uh, business classes in float? There are. Um, we focus on, well, of course, like any convention, we have business classes, we have um, you know, design classes. But the one thing that we've asked all of our teachers to do, and, and part of their evaluations are dependent upon it, is that even if they teach a design class, there should also be an element of business in that class. So if you're going to teach somebody how to make a specific design, that's great. Now also teach them how you sell it. Yeah. It's not, I mean, every one of the, you know, I, I could make an Imperial Walker out of balloons, which I recently did. And, and I've had people, well, you didn't get paid for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> I promise you I got paid for it. So it's a matter of, you know, here's how I sold that piece. Mm. Here's how I did it. Here's the strategy I used to convince my client to spend more money than they were going to spend to get that particular piece. That's, that's kind of that's kind of, and I want every class to include some of that um, because it's important. I think it's I think it's really important for people to know. But again, it's that duality of culture, creative and but it, it's great to be creative, but you have to pay the bills. Yeah, I and think it's that whole I, I think it's it's even a matter of the survival. Of the industry, because uh you cannot survive for for and prosper and and flourish uh, as businesses if you are not making money and profit um, right. so uh, one more question can people buy stuff in the convention? We do have a vendor showcase yes um, we we encourage our vendors to actually have things there to sell um Again, as I mentioned before with my experience at the World Balloon Convention, I'm one of the only people that come with actual product, which always surprises me. Um, so, yeah, we absolutely encourage it. And, in fact, our instructors, if they have videos of their own or PDFs or whatever, they're encouraged to sell them to their students. I mean, it can't be a sales pitch. The entire class cannot be buy my video, buy my video, buy my video. But they can have them to offer independently if they want. I just don't want to have to deal with babysitting them. I don't want to have to sit there and you're trying to sell something in the classroom. You know what? They're going to do it. Let them do it. It benefits everybody in the end. It, does, you know, it's, it's, it, it doesn't matter. I don't need a cut of that business per se. 
you know, that's not important to me. What's important to me is that the products are getting in the hands of the people that need them and want them. Cool. Definitely. That's, uh, I think, uh, a plus because uh, being in a convention and uh, never have the ability to buy anything like uh, on some conventions, it's, for some people, it's very frustrating because they, they, they've seen some ideas. They want to get a head start. They need some stuff that they miss. And yeah, uh, it's, uh, so I'm, I'm happy to hear about that. Um, also, gosh, you have a, a long list of very talented people uh, that are teaching in Float. Uh, the classes look awesome. I, we cannot go into all of those details right now because we're already uh, running out of time. But I, I just want people to go into the website and uh, learn more about Float and see the opportunity that is waiting for you there. Uh, and uh, if you are listening to this show, to this podcast, and it's already after uh, January 28th, Uh, 29 and up to the 2nd of, of February. Is this correct? Um, yes. So if you're listening to this uh, after uh, January, February 2017, then start saving for 2019 because you will have float again then. Um, Stephen Jones, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. You, you're, you were so open and sharing with us about your goals and aspirations with Float and I really appreciate that. I think you're doing an, a hell of a job and uh, thank you for your time with us today. Well, I thank you very much. I really appreciate this opportunity. It's been a pleasure and I look forward to meeting you again. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, so see you guys again to next week on the Balloon Artist Podcast. Didn't I tell you Stephen Jones was awesome and I'm now even more excited about going to float. So if you are going to float too, like a few of my friends are already going, like Crystal Grace and Glenn Lavelli and, and Lisa McKinter, and I, I am really excited about meeting so many people uh, over there in float. If float is not your cup of tea, maybe you are more interested in meeting with me and having a, a beer instead so if you are interested in going to twist and shout please go to the balloonartistpodcast.com and check out the promotion that i'm doing there together with guy sheffer and that promotion is related to basically using a coupon code that we got from patty sorel and that will make sure that you will win some prizes if you go and joe tomborello was uh, winning some prizes already uh, last week so Thank you for listening for the Balloon Artist Podcast and I will be seeing you on the Facebook group Balloon Artist and next week on the Balloon Artist Podcast. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. This is Zivi Kivi and this is Season 3, Chapter 9, the tip section and today I want to recommend to you about 
a tutorial that I've made that is available in YouTube for free. And that is a tutorial about WordPress. WordPress is an open source technology that I use in all of my websites. And I highly recommend uh, that you consider WordPress if you're serious about getting traffic into your site and then later converting the, that traffic into leads and customers. So all of my um, so all of my entertainment sites uh, are actually made out of WordPress and I have one for birthdays and one for weddings and one for, for magic shows and balloon shows and so on. So uh, if you go to YouTube and search WordPress training ZV Kiwi, you will be able to see nine chapters of parts, nine parts of a full-blown training on WordPress and I highly recommend you check it out. So go to YouTube and look for WordPress training ZV Kiwi. I hope you enjoyed the tutorial and thank you for listening to the Balloon Artist Podcast. <laughs>